This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. All right, good morning, and on this beautiful Tuesday morning, the one and only Joe Wilson Jr. back on the podcast. Great to have you, my friend. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me, Bill. So you've had an interesting journey that I really admire because you you have been for years known here in Rhode Island and nationally as a stage actor and somebody with an administrative history for sure. But this year you became the director of the arts, culture and tourism uh, department in Providence City Hall. Actually, not in City Hall, in one of the adjacent buildings down down the street. But but you're working for the city in this really vital role what went into that? What was your decision-making process? When were you offered that job, and how has it changed your overall practice? Well, Bill, thank you. That's a great question because I'm still trying to really come to grips with it. Um, it's been such a radical shift uh, in my life. Uh, yes, I have spent um, 18 years of my life as a member of the resident acting company at Trinity Rep. Um, I moved here from New York 18 years ago, um, but I have been a professional actor um, for 30 years. And so this has certainly been a huge shift, um, even down to, you know, not being on a rehearsal schedule, actually having my weekends sort of free, um, not being on a production schedule. So it's been it's been a lot. Um, You know, I've spent 30 years, you know, running my own business and really, you know, being accountable to uh, myself and my work um, and the the folks that I sign individual contracts with as an artist of being accountable to them and to a group of people that I'm working with. But this is a different level of accountability. Um, You know, the the mayor asked me to take this job um, before the inauguration. Uh, The funny story was I was actually having a party at my home with my neighbor uh, in celebration of the LGBTQ plus archive at the province public library. And the mayor showed up and we were standing in my driveway having, I was having a glass of wine. And the mayor asked me, would I consider joining his team as the director of art, culture and tourism? And after I picked my face up off my driveway, I said, Mayor, I just, you know, I need, I need some time to think about it. But I thought about it for about 36 hours. And um, after a second meeting with him, I said yes. So it's been a huge shift for me. Uh, it's been a huge lifestyle change for me. Um, you know, funny thing is I'm used to having my work sort of examined by critics or examined by folks who come to the theater. And so this is a different level of scrutiny and examination around not just my work, but the work. Uh, and it's not about my work. It's about the work of, of the department and about the work of, of the administration. Um, to ensure that we um, maintain a, a vital uh, um, um, cr- um, a creative capital, that we, you know, protect its growth, uh, the people who make up this sector, um, and and continue to be able to talk about it and narrate uh, this sector uh, for the world, and 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 platforming uh, what we one of the things that we make that we think makes Providence such an extraordinary place uh, is uh, are the artists and artisans that make up. Uh, this creative capital. So it's been a wild ride, but I'm really happy to be able to serve in this capacity. I feel like more artists should be serving in, I don't know, I don't want to really call it a political role. I don't think there's any way around it because it's, it's you know, you're, you're in a mayoral uh, cabinet, not cabinet, but you're in a mayoral administration. And I always, I wonder that how, when you look at the big picture of, of our representation, either elected or appointed, I feel like there's a void when it comes to arts. Um, and artists, you know, again, we're patting ourselves on the back here, you know what I mean, if, if I'm being honest about it, but there's an examination of the world that's that's sort of in that theoretical, sort of philosophical, things you can't understand type of realm that really does apply to administration. But as you mentioned, as a working artist, there's an actual practical administration, day-to-day 
three o'clock in the morning phone calls, managing groups of people and sort of striving for a singular goal that you have to share with people. Those those attributes are um, key elements that can be deployed in the administration of our government. So what's your take on that in terms of just bringing more artists into the fold? Well, my take on that is as an artist, I understand what it means to be trapped in bureaucracy. I understand what it means to wait to get paid. Uh, I understand what it means to, you know, you're asking for support through grant making, uh, you know, through um, asking for support, you know, look, always looking on uh, uh, turning over every stone you can to be able to support the life that you live. Um, more importantly, I think uh, the way I think about it in terms of, of art making in this in this sort of bureaucratic political process is most of us, um, I think, unfortunately, have a very a transactional relationship with art making. Um, it's a thing that we can, you know, we choose to buy a ticket or we choose to purchase a piece of art or we choose to go to a museum uh, and to consume uh, that art. But my relationship to my art making isn't a transactional one. For me, it's about the process. And so by embedding these kinds of processes around collaboration, uh, remaining open, uh, transparent processes, these are all things that I think any city government or any government or political entity can, can benefit from. Um, you know, how we create the conditions to provide um, uh, uh, a way that we can talk to each other. You know, how we create the conditions for us to be able to see and hear each other. You know, art making is also not about advocating for a point of view. Um, art, you know, as an artist, I've played all kinds of characters. I have had to be all kinds of characters, which means putting myself into those characters' shoes. And I think if more politicians or more uh, folks who are in bureaucracy practiced actually putting yourself in someone else's shoes, I think that is a pathway to developing more policy um, that, that can be responsive to the needs of people. So I think that's where I, I come into this job with a little bit of, a, of an advantage in terms of, 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 of how I, uh, even as a director, how you set the table, how you build the room, how you put the people around you. You know, one of the most important things a director can do is around casting and around setting the table. And I think those are the practices uh, that, that I, that I uh, am trying to bring uh, to my job. One more thing I'll say about just the idea of embedding uh, this work in city government. You know, right now we have a, a really great program that we're working with in a partnership with uh, our Healthy Communities Office um, and also a, Prov um, a Providence Housing Authority um, uh, through a, a group called One Nation, One Project and the National League of Cities. Uh, we are embedded in two Providence housing communities right now, uh, Chad Brown and Carol Tower. And, um, you know, we have started with sort of, um, you know, kind of introductory access to artistic activities. And over the course of this process, each of these communities will decide how they want to use art making in response to a prompt. You know, for example, we know the folks at, at Carroll Tower, you know, it's a it's a community um, of, of, of elderly, lots of elderly folk, and they were ravaged by the effects of COVID. And so, you know, we're getting a sense from their intersection with art making that they want to do some kind of memorialization project. And so this is an example of using art making in community, but it's also an example of art making bringing different departments together to to serve uh, uh, those stakeholders that we serve that, that uh, we're in uh, community with. That's absolutely profound what you just said there in, in, in its totality over the last couple of minutes. And I would completely agree. There's an intersectionality that is underexplored when it comes to art. Sometimes it's more of, a, you know, some some folks I've heard say and and I'm not going to name them, but I've heard people say this is more of an activity. It's sort of like a like use use art as the distraction from 
whatever the crisis at hand is or the situation at hand is. Whereas you're saying, and I think it's, it's again, really profound, it can be a vehicle to sort of drive collaboration and just uplift anybody who is underserved in any way, shape, or form. It's not just, all right, let's uh, take your mind off of the reality at hand. It's let's change the reality at hand. That's exactly right. And and again, you know, art making is fun and our consumption of art can be fun. I love going to a play. I love seeing movies. I love going to museums. And so there is there is fun, it is fun. Um, but there's also, it, it's also about a process and a practice. And um, I think that's what artists bring to community. And I think that's one of the things that makes the art scene in Providence so vibrant is that you don't just have a, a city of makers. You have a city of folk who are not just making art, but they're also engaged deeply in community and using their art practice as a way to bring people together, using their art practice for advocacy, for activism. That's the best of, of, of what art makers do for community. It's not just, yes, murals are beautiful, but what that mural does in terms of sparking conversations what that mural has done, even before the mural goes up, there's work in terms of how we engage the community around what that work will be and why that work sh should be there. Um, and so it's about the process. And, um, um, you know, I've learned that over the course of my career, you know, I began in this business with a very transactional relationship with my art form because it was about finding a way to pay my rent, finding a way now to pay the mortgage. Um, uh, um, or even from the standpoint of, you know, when I first got in this business, you know, people would always ask me, so Joe, when are you going to be on Broadway? Well, I've been on Broadway. Or Joe, when are you going to make that movie? Joe, when are you going to work with Denzel? I've done all that, you know? Um, but, but I know in my own life, that's, that wasn't the end all be all. It's certainly not a thing that quote, made me happy. What made me happy was actually being in a place like Providence, where I was able to be embedded in community and that I felt like my work meant something not just as, oh, that was a great show, but my, my work had a transformative power um, within my community, but my work also gave me access. You know, uh, you know, I, you know, I've enjoyed a kind of a local celebrity status, and you know, it's not about me signing an autograph or me being written about, it, about in the press. Why I really enjoyed that was people that invite me to serve on boards, people that invite me to help raise money for other nonprofits, people invite me to use my creative capital to better my community. And that's what's, you know, kept me embedded in communities like, you know, Providence. And before Providence, of course, I was in New York for five years. But before then, I was in Minneapolis for seven years. Minneapolis is a vibrant arts community where I, as an artist, had license and agency to be a part of that community and not just as a person creating something that was consumed by the community. I was in conversation with these communities. And so, you know, for me, uh, this job is sort of it's sort of a full circle journey for me. You know, many years yeah. ago when I was living in New Orleans, it was my dream to always, you know, go to law school and go back to New Orleans and run for office. Um, and it's so it's so it's very interesting now that I find myself actually, you know, uh, really in knee deep in, in bureaucracy and politics, but also more importantly, being an advocate for uh, the creatives in our creative sector here uh, in our community and being an advocate for art making as a practice, as a process and not something that that is uh, that deserves to simply be consumed. Yeah, super well said. And again, couldn't agree more with that. Joe Wilson Jr., Providence Arts, Culture, Tourism Director here with us. Also, of course, a very well-known and respected and amazingly talented actor and director. Um, you know, what's interesting about Providence is that it's. I grew up in Rhode Island, so I had this unique view into Providence as first as just a pure consumer as a kid. You know, I'd get dropped off and go to some <laughs> show downtown or whatever. And the living room, which is no longer 
in existence, but an amazing venue that had live music seven nights a week, Trinity, you name it. I was very lucky that I was able to explore Providence. But then I was in New York for a decade, and I found community there in Brooklyn. But I completely agree with you that the question becomes, when are you going to play, in my case as a songwriter, when are you going to play The Bitter End? Okay, you play The Bitter End. And then, all right, when are you going to play The Mercury Lounge? You play that. When are you going to play? And you just keep going on. It's almost like even once you headline Madison Square Garden, there's always more of a transactional relationship that you can go, you can grow with. Here in Providence, we certainly have that type of ladder that you want to climb professionally. Um, but as you said, it almost feels like the bigger prize here in Providence, at least to me, is the growing your position in the community. And I don't mean that in a in a oh wow, this guy's the, you know he's the third best painter in town. It's more building that community and being a part of it and then being able to deploy what you have to offer artistically from an activist standpoint, from just a general how you doing standpoint in Providence. Do you get that sense that the Providence is uniquely positioned because of its size, but also because of its talent, that it can kind of be this, it can kind of exist outside of the realm of capitalism in art, while at the same time people can still have a competitive growth-oriented place to practice their work? Well, Bill, that's a really uh, incredible point to make about the city of Providence. I think one of the things that makes our creative sector uh, so dynamic here, you know, Providence is such an accessible city. It's a walkable city. It's an affordable city. And we're sandwiched in between these two massive cities in New York and Boston. And, you know, the way I see Providence is a place that we can actually wrap our hands around and be a part of and see the effects of the work that we do in community. And you're completely right. You know, me getting a great review about a show that I have done has paled in comparison to me having a community member look me in the eye and say, Joe, thank you for supporting this event or thank you for being an advocate for this issue. Um, you know, because the community will tell you when you're messing things up. And, and you know, it, it reminds me of, you know, growing up, it, it takes a village and raising kids. And it's like, you know, if you do one thing bad at school, it's like, it's not, a, it's not that your parents necessarily would find out from you, but they would find out from members of the community. And members of the community all were part of rearing and raising children and raising who we are. And this community has helped to raise me. They've wrapped their arms around me and then they, they've told me when I messed up and they've told me when I'm, I'm doing really great work. And so, but, but you bring up a really good point about the, the size of our city. You know, so often I think that people, that we have an inferiority complex in Providence and Rhode Island, you know, because we're the smallest state in the union and because, you know, we are sort of in the midst of these two major cities on the eastern seaboard. And I act, and we also, we also use this term here in Providence or Rhode Island. It's like, you know, we're punching up in our weight class. It's always like, you know, we're reaching up because we're so small rather than seeing our size actually as a strength. You know, um, and, 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 and so I, that's sort of a, a, a big philosophy that I'm bringing into this job and, and a mindset that I'm trying to change, even around developing a narrative of how we speak about ourselves here in Providence. You know, as I am working to working with our partners, for example, to develop the narrative around how we speak about tourism in this city, um, you know, and, and, and how and how and, and broadening broadening 
our understanding of what we have to offer in terms of our cultural heritage assets in this city. For example, Providence is not just downtown. Providence is composed of so many different uh, cultural heritage assets throughout the city. Our neighborhoods, our, our, our cities are filled with cultural corridors, whether you're talking about Broad Street, whether you're talking about the Valley Arts District, whether you're talking about Benefit Street, Wickedon Street, talking about Atwell's Avenue, I can go on and on. There are all these rich cultural assets that we just don't talk about enough in this city. Um, the fact that Providence is um, a 50% uh, Spanish-speaking city, and we are a minority-majority city. There's there's a there's such um, rich cultural assets here that we that we don't speak about, and I think even more than uh, when we think about our larger cities in the region, we have stuff they don't. And it's my job as the, as the director of the of the Department of Art, Culture, and Tourism to tell that story, to tell that story loudly and broadly. Um, but our size is indeed an asset. Our size really allows our citizens to have, um, allows us to have access to so much of what our city has to offer, but it also allows us to see the effects of the work that we do in community. And it allows us to be a thing that I like to call a collaboratory. You know, this, this collaborative laboratory where we can actually try stuff out. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something different. You know, so our, our ability to respond and to pivot and to see the quantifiable effects of the work that we do, I think, are, I think is one of the many things that makes Providence such a dynamic place to be. And our arts sector is at the center of that work. Mm. Completely agree there. All right, last couple of minutes here. Let's talk about PVD Fest. All right. So, so full disclosure, I'm, I'm, I'm performing PVD Fest on Sunday. Um, I'll be on the, the storyteller stage. Really looking forward to it, already preparing for it. So, look, PVD Fest, it has a, a long history. We could go through that. We could go all the way back to sound sessions. We can go all the way back to First Night Providence, even before that, some of the early, early concepts around this. But in contemporary times, there was some pushback on some of the changes that the Smiley administration made to PVD Fest. I remember when these first came down, people were messaging me, oh, you got to go and then ask the mayor about why they're, you know, they're not going to have block parties and I can't believe this. And, you know, he's he's never going to get reelected because of, of these changes. And it became this huge thing that, you know, I did ask questions about it at a press conference. I remember I saw you there and I was kind of like, like I hate to be that guy but you know I'm hearing this like from dozens and dozens of people there has been some uh further change that that accommodates the original concept of PBD fest downtown block parties so on and so forth for the community out there because there's there's people that still don't know that these things have been restored in some capacity what's the current status of PBD fest when it comes to the block parties when it comes to downtown and the event as a whole, in light of the fact that there are, are some people who are extremely upset with the nature of the festival this year. Great. Thank you for asking me these questions around the festival. Uh, as you can see, I have my Grand Marshal sa a sash uh, hanging behind me. I was honored to be uh, um, Grand Marshal of the PVD Fest Parade a few years ago. And so you can imagine how much this festival means to me. Um, and it means to me so much because of how it platforms literally, literally, the hundreds of artists that take place, that participate in PVD Fest every year. Uh, any changes that were made to this festival were about trying to create a more sustainable festival uh, to ensure that PVD Fest uh, could endure long after you or me or any administration. 
Um, and, and so what I will say, um, firstly, is that please come to PVD Fest. Uh, this year, PVD Fest is September 8th, 9th, and 10th. Um, as far as the status of, of the uh, block parties, um, as folks may or may not know, um, we have uh, put in uh, to policy uh, the idea of allowing activations on Friday night for block parties. Um, and so, you know, the administration heard the concern and we are doing our best to, to accommodate for that. Um, I am happy to say that we have many downtown businesses who have applied uh, for uh, special events um, um, permitting that night. And so we're really happy um, that on Friday night, Friday, September 8th, um, we will be um, on the festival footprint at the main stage, uh, starting with a concert from five o'clock until eight o'clock uh, that will feature Ed Shawnee and Chachi Cavallo. Uh, simultaneously, uh, at the CIC building uh, on the festival footprint, we will be having our opening night party uh, from 7 to 9 o'clock, uh, at which time uh, we will be sashing our grand marshals, uh, who will be Helen Dukes, a community activist and founder of Juneteenth Rhode Island, and Gonzalo Cuervo, um, who is also an incredible, incredible public servant and friend and has done so much um, uh, for our great city. Uh, we're also unveiling um, a, a piece of commemorative art uh, that was commissioned um, uh, from artist Julio Barroa, and we will have 150 signed and numbered copies of this print uh, made available to folks who uh, come to opening night, uh, come to the opening night party. Um, and so we're really excited about that Friday night activation. And then, of course, after the party and after the concert, you know, folks, we encourage folks to go downtown and eat, go to our bars and go to the many, um, the many businesses that will have activations on Friday night. And so the administration heard the concern and we're trying to do our best uh, to make accommodations for that. But it's all about uh, creating the conditions for a sustainable festival. And more importantly, a festival that puts the attention squarely on where it needs to be. We will have six stages throughout the festival weekend with seven hours of programming on Saturday, six hours of programming on Sunday, literally employing hundreds, and I mean hundreds of local artists. That's where the focus of PVD Fest should be. And we, of course, encourage everyone uh, to not only take advantage of the incredible uh, landscape that is our Providence River, but to walk downtown, to walk our, our city, and to uh, enjoy all the other uh, offerings uh, that will be available to them over the festival weekend. So it's about sustainability um, and sustainability, sustainability, sustainability. Um, but we are listening and we're doing our best to create the conditions for everyone to have um, a wonderful festival weekend. Yeah, and it's it is interesting because I like I said I mean again it's you can't measure public opinion based on a handful of tweets or Facebook comments but you know I posted my upcoming performance schedule you know about Facebook or something like I think it was Facebook last week and it was like oh you know I'm here I'm there I mean here's my New York run here's this here's that and in there was PVD Fest and someone posted on there oh I thought all the artists were boycotting PVD Fest this year and I was like who are what do you mean who are all the artists who are all I the mean, artists it, and Bill I will also say uh, thank you for posting who are all the artists we have had there has been no drop off in the amount of interest from artists for PVD Fest I'm talking about performing artists artists and vendors or food trucks or even people who are working as our zone managers or stage managers or volunteers or sanitation crew. 
um, there has been no drop off in um, interest in PVD fest. What I will also say, and I'm stealing this from the mayor actually, as many people as there were who were upset about the changes of PVD fest, equally we have had folks who are in support of these changes. Um, you know, there were people who were so, if I can say, pissed off about our policy around activations downtown, but there were as many people who were relieved around these changes. And so, you know, I try, and just speaking personally, I try not to listen to the noise of social media. Um, you know, folks have a platform where they can go on and say, of course, whatever they want to say. But I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the sausage making of this festival, and I'm watching the artists who are clamoring to be a part of this festival. I'm watching all of these, all of the gig economy workers who want to be a part of this festival, and there is indeed excitement around this festival. Um, and, and, and change is hard. And so I would just ask people to come on down and see what's going on. Walk the footprint. Um, I think this is one of the most accessible footprints that we've ever had for this festival. I think it will provide a very different experience for festival goers to actually be able to take in much more of the art making, the uh, artists and vendors uh, than before. Um, not to mention, it'll be the first time literally in the I-95 District Park that you can actually walk around the entire river. They've just opened up that last stretch by the old power plant. Um, it's an extraordinary footprint. And what I, what I would also say, Bill, about uh, this footprint is, <clears throat> and I get a little emotional even thinking about it. It's like for so many years, decades, that river, which is the lifeblood of this region, whether it be uh, plant life, fauna, and animal life, or our First Nations community, that river is the reason Providence exists. And for so many years, it was covered up by transportation infrastructure. And what I will say is, 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 is and on, a, on a personal level, that so much of the consternation around the, um, the festival took on a racial overtone. Um, and I think what I learned from that is that we as a community still have so much to do in terms of reaching beyond those railroad tracks. You know, where I'm from, there was those old sayings around, you know, those people lived on that side of the track and we live on this side of the track. And, and it's interesting that for so many people that, that that river, those railroad tracks that were torn up many years ago, that still exists as a metaphor for how people see their city and how people experience their city. This river, this city belongs to everybody. And I think it's also ironic that that bridge, that, that bridges that divide from both sides of that river is named after a black civil rights icon. Uh, um, and so um, I just really hope that people give the festival a chance. And I'm not saying do it for me. I'm saying do it for our artists, the hundreds of artists who will be performing and who will be selling uh, um, their wares and, and the food trucks and come and experience the festival and give our artists a chance. Um, you know, we'll re-examine as we do every single year, what works and what doesn't work. But I would really just hope that um, people can see this festival for what it is. And what it is, is an opportunity to showcase the rich talent and cultural resources, resources and assets that make Providence, Providence. Um, and we will continue to re-examine all that we do and, and try to be more responsive and try to um, uh, to improve and make things better for uh, future festivals. But come on down and experience the festival. Um, and if not for me and not for the, it's not for me or the administration, it's about supporting these artists. Joe Wilson Jr., Providence Arts, Culture, Tourism Director and a, just a true artist. 
you're a true artist, man, and you know I appreciate everything you do. Thank you so much, bro. We appreciate you, and look forward to seeing you on the Festival Footprint on Sunday. It's gonna be, it's really gonna be exciting, and um, I can't wait.